It is the Matt Berry Show here on the ESPN College Football YouTube channel. I am joined now, as I always am, by Paul Feinbaum, who is, I, I've been told, despite what the backdrop looks like, he is safe. He has not been yeah, taken uh, captive Matt, by Sankey. I don't know. Uh, you, you were too young, but when I was a kid, uh, we'd go down to like the, the drugstore and they'd have like a thing that would take four pictures of you and your friends. And yeah. we all kind of, and th- this is how I feel because I, I haven't had a, a backdrop like this since my, I was eight years old in, in a yeah, drugstore. That is an amazing photo booth they set up for you uh, there in Nashville. And I, and I also promise people watching on, on the YouTube channel, this is the dressiest Feinbaum and I'll get yeah. the entire season. He, he's at SEC Media Days. He's got stuff going on. I got Sports Center in a couple of hours. So we're dressing our adult clothes for our day jobs. We did want to catch up with you, uh, Paul, while you've been down there. I guess big picture, we're, we, we've embarked on the final day. Today is Shane Beamer, Josh Heupel, and Lane Kiffin. But leading up to this point in the final day, what has been the biggest, in your estimation, storyline coming out of Nashville this week? It's really about Kirby Smart, number one, dealing with uh, the off-the-field issues. And, and I, I want to get to that in a minute because it, there was a dramatic turn yesterday and in, in some of that. And, and ultimately, uh, you know, the quest for the three-peat and Matt, the sideshow, believe it or not, was Nick Saban. Uh, he did not command the stage like he normally does. Uh, it, it seemed awkward. Uh, nobody really wanted to say, hey, coach, do you really think uh, Georgia has passed you? Um, but beyond that, it, uh, this has been, uh, and again, there's three more coaches, including Kiffin, so you don't want to speak too soon. It's, it's been a fairly uh, routine SEC media days. Yeah, okay, and there are bullet points I want to get to with a couple of things you just said. Let's start. Let's start with Nick Saban first and foremost. Is he at the point? I had him on Sports Center with me. You you talk with him all the time. He had the podium yesterday. Is Saban at the point? He's been in Alabama now for seventeen years. Is he at the point now where it's, hey man, I'm going to come here and I'm I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to speak at the podium. We're not going to get anything inflammatory out of me. The the biggest thing that went around is him making an analogy to his grandma's cake and the carrot cake. Yeah. I mean, is it just kind of where he is at this point in his career where he's like, man, I don't need to come here. Just let's go. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think in reality, he probably would have preferred skipping it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Matt, Matt, I mean, you know, that you get really stupid questions from the media. One guy got up there and I'm, I'm going to quote it verbatim. He said, coach, my, don't laugh. My name is Johnny Ballpark Franks. I'm from uh, Huntsville, Alabama. And I just wanted to congratulate you on setting the record for the longest coach, longest tenured coach at a certain specific school, uh, 17 years or 16 years uh, appearing at media days. And I'm thinking like, you know, Saban, we all know seven national championships, great. Right. I'm sure it's was you know, ready to call Miss Terry and go, hey, guess what? We have a, I've, I've, I've accomplished something else. I mean, it was so <laughs> absurd. Um, and, and that really, that, that's even, that, that really what it was all about. I mean, Saban talked, talk about situational awareness. He started talking about celebrating his 52nd because of COVID, the wedding anniversary, uh, and a three-week tour of Italy. And he said, let me tell you, Florence, I mean, we're not talking about, you know, two days in Rome, uh, uh, you get part of a package, three nights, you know, four nights in Europe for, you know, $900. He said, you know, Florence, Milan. He said, we went to the, the Ferrari factory 
the, the word is that he's about to become a Ferrari dealer and you have to go there and test drive. He's talking about test driving Ferraris. And, and then he said, all of you folks out, you really should go there. I'm like going, I mean, we got, we got, everybody knows the media business right now. Saban's encouraging a bunch of sports writers hanging on for their life. <laughs> go ahead and, uh, you know, go, why don't you go ahead and consider, you know, taking your wife to Florence for, uh, you know, three or four weeks when you get a break. I mean, it was, it was, it was just so, I mean, it was tone deaf on one level. It was hilarious on the other. That was the most interesting thing instead of my point. I, I find him Paul where he doesn't, like, he's going to do it in the regular season. He's going to come out with that Coke bottle. He never drinks from on the podium. He's going to get after the media for not talking good about him. And then he'll get after the media for talking too good about him. At this point in his career, to me, he's just up there playing possum. Like, listen, I've got a talented team. I'm going to pick a quarterback. We're going to win a lot of football games. You can say what you want about Kirby Smart. You can do that. But at, he, I I think he's so secure in what he's done. He he just doesn't care what people think anymore. Well, uh, he, he, he doesn't care until somebody criticizes him, which happens very rarely. But that's, that's for another podcast. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he... I mean, there's a routineness to it that that he know he knows he's got everything in in his back pocket, um, and I mean he he still is is charming. I mean, you you talk to him, uh, he he can have fun, and I think he likes to have fun. He always says the same thing at the end. I want to thank all of you for you know what a great job. I mean, there's not one guy in that room that's ever met Nick Saban, Matt. I kid you not. I mean, I I, I ask Alabama beat reporters all the time, and I, I there's like a four hundred of them. Oh, you know, what about have you had, what, what is your you know relationship with Nick Saban? Well, I've never met him. I've never met him. They say it. Let's be honest. Saban doesn't care about the local guys. I mean, he <laughs> talks to you. He talks to Herbie, uh, you know, Van Pelt. Uh, I mean, he is not remotely interested in the local media. What, what are they going to do for, for him? So, uh, you know, but, but he thanks them anyway for, for everything they do for college football. And I always call it the state of the Alabama address because that's really what it is. He gets up there. He dictates the talking points. But, Paul, I would bet if you got him in a room, not as creepy as the one you're in right now, but just a room in general. <laughs> there, there, by the way, there is a dead body behind this couch. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you got him in a room or you were talking to I bet it does eat at him a little bit, the success of a former assistant in Kirby Smart that not just – this isn't just, hey, successful coaching career. This is a guy now who's won back-to-back national championships, kings of college football, kings of SEC. And, oh, by the way, one of those championships was done over Alabama in, in the CFP. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think Saban was the last person to beat Kirby Smart in what, what truly was an insignificant win as, as things go because all it did was give Nick Saban a chance to lose to Kirby Smart again. Uh, three weeks later and get this thing started. So I, I think it's it, it's a it, it's an issue. And I do think Nick Saban will address it. I mean, you'll you'll see sit downs with Saban where he's a little yeah. more relaxed. And you can't avoid that question. Uh, and uh, he'll say all this, oh, I'm so happy for Kirby. You know, we love Kirby. But, but, but yeah, I mean, we're talking about something now that if Kirby uh, Smart accomplishes it, Nick Saban didn't accomplish. And, and, and I mean, Matt, winning two championships is great. Not that many people have done it. Winning three, three yeah. in a row. I mean, you cover golf. I mean, there, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of guys, uh, you know, at at Top Golf right now who have a major championship. 
there aren't too many that have two, th two or three or four or five. Right. I mean, it, it really changes once you get that second one. And, and when you get, if you get a third one in a row, and and the debate is on and it's not really relevant but i mean but kirby smart has really taken what saban did so well and 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 the the, the thing that i think is is gnawing at nick saban more than anything is that kirby smart's program in athens looks a lot more like alabama right now than nick saban's program yeah and and you bring up the multiple national championships i mean think about the rarefied air kirby's already in i mean urban meyer has two. He's got one at Florida, or he's got three. Does Urban have three? Two at Florida, one at yeah, Ohio State. Three. So he's got Should three. Have a lot more, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Steve Spurrier's only got the one at Florida. I mean, Bob Stoops only has the one at Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, these are guys that we regard as coaching legends that Kirby Smart has already caught. You're right. Three in a row is unprecedented. And it would put him in a whole other rarefied air as we switch now to Georgia and Kirby Smart. On the field, we know they're going to be good. It's been the off-the-field stuff this offseason. We had waited to find out what Kirby was going to say about the off-the-field incidents. I want to start there with his response to the traffic violations and how he handled that, and then we'll move to the big news that came out yesterday. He, he I thought he handled it fairly well. He's he's had a lot of practice at it because he did it a week or two ago in, in Georgia. And, I mean, he he has a great tone. Uh, I, I mean, Kirby Smart isn't, isn't a – flashy guy up there but but he's got it down and and i think he he, he addressed it uh but, but he, i think he was also relieved when he got on the plane to go back that that will probably be the last time he talks about it uh, because there's not much more he can say and and the second part of the story really plays into the first part mark matt and i'll get out of your way as you tell that story yeah, so the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has been covering Georgia football off the field at, at great length, and there's been a couple of stories that have come out that even ESPN uh, did an, a video piece on it outside the lines that was, in fact, about the traffic violations, and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution really dug into those. But then there was another story that they put out there about uh, sexual assault allegations against Georgia and the football program. And it was after that story that Georgia came out and demanded a retraction from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And all of us were thinking, wow, I mean, they're really digging in on this, that this story is incorrect. We would like a retraction. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution then comes out yesterday. Not only do they make corrections within that story involving the sexual assault allegations, they fired the reporter who did the story because of their journalistic integrity that they tried to maintain at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And, Paul, we saw this. We I was like, whoa, chalk one up for Georgia for looking at this particular writer and this particular piece and saying, man, th this is this is close to slander and this is incorrect. Yeah, and, and regardless of the minutia, the perception of this moving forward is that, that Kirby Smart was right, uh, that, that he was vilified. And it bothered me early on that uh, when people were attacking the messenger. Um, but now it, it, it's, it's so clear uh, that this publication was irresponsible. And this is a, not for this podcast, but, you know, media wonks guys that used to be in the business now that are, you know, teach journalism. I mean, they'll be, having uh, conversations about this for a long time, because this was a shattering blow to the media. Uh, and for those who 
try uh, to to do investigative reporting, which is you know very difficult to do. And I, I was once in that platform and am no longer. But but uh, I mean the 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 dirt road fan won. I mean that Yo. guy that guy who you know posts on Dog Nation and uh, you know you know hairy dogs and all that. I mean they 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 just beat the media down with a stick on this one, and it will it will it will it will it will change the it will be a paradigm shift because the next time some publication comes out like this, they'll be like, well, they think they got it right. There you go. And that's the biggest thing. And I'm glad you brought it up in that manner. Cause when I looked at this and look, this isn't, I don't think either of us are like this. We tend to evaluate everything as it comes. I'm not Mr. Media. The media is always right. I know the media has several faults. And so I looked at this and I said, Oh no, like their fans are going to attack and attack and attacks. And I'll say that publication in Atlanta They've been really big on what George is doing off the field. They lost, in my mind, all credibility with any kind of reporting they want to do on this going forward. I think it's done for them in terms of like, well, why should we listen? How do we even know that's true? You just fired a reporter that made stuff up. Yeah, yeah. the AJC is finished uh, when it comes to covering uh, the dogs. Uh, nobody, nobody's going to trust them. Nobody cares what they have to say. Uh, and by the way, they, they did all this behind a paywall, uh, just to make it even more uh, un, un, untenable. Here's the here's the, the kicker, though, Matt. Uh, there were some rumors out there this week about the, the reporter Alan Judd, and, and I, had, I I interviewed him a couple weeks ago, and he answered the questions, whatever. I, I tended not to get too carried away when I saw a, a reporter being vilified online. Yeah, I'm interviewing Pat Forty yesterday. I mean, Pat Forty is a respected yeah. uh, investigative journalist. He's a columnist for Sports Illustrated. I said, Pat, uh, what about it? He said, well, Paul, <laughs> he said, I'm not really that surprised. I go, why not? He said, I worked with this guy 30 years ago at the Louisville Courier-Journal, and he got run out of there for doing the same thing. And I'm like going, oh, my goodness. Uh, and, and listen, everybody makes mistakes. Uh, but – Investigative reporting is, is different than just popping off like we're doing here. I've, I've done it. I mean, you, it is. And the problem is, and I'll sound like that old guy who you know, used to, you know, the ink-stained wretch, but Matt, there's, there's just, these organizations aren't cut out for it anymore. There's not enough checks and balances. And, uh, the, you know, the, the AJC has egg all over its face, and they'll never get it off. And you can just you can hoist another trophy for Kirby Smart in the victory yeah. column because he and the Big program one. got that with um, with the retraction yesterday. All right, my favorite thing about SEC media days to this point, and we know you got to run, is no, I'm good. the Jimbo Fisher Bobby Petrino marriage. Paul, why couldn't Jimbo? go up there and answer the question. Our intent is for Bobby to call the game on offense. Instead, he kind of danced around it and says, well, I hope he's able to call the game. We don't know. Why, why do that? Is it, was he marking his territory? Like why do that now? What, what's the point? Well, because he, he's heard all this chatter and yeah, I just think he came there with an attitude and what, what's really funny, Matt, uh, you know, he did, he did that interview. Um, 
And then, you know, we, we, uh, the network, the SEC network goes off the air. So he's got, he's obligated, I guess, to do one more with the network. So he comes up with me and I, I had not heard what he had said because I was doing, doing something else. I don't know. Um, I was, I was interviewing somebody else and, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to go about it. I mean, it's so awkward talking to him and he's talking a mile a minute. I, I didn't even realize he had said it because one of the the, the, ag, the Texas ag guys came up to me afterwards and said, I can't believe he admitted on your show that Bobby Petrino was calling the place. And I think he slipped up. He was like rambling on about the, the mayor and, and he said it and you can't understand Jimbo anyway. Um, so I missed it. Uh, but but it, he's, he just cannot relax. Uh, but I, I after all this, which has nothing to do with the football field, I got the distinct impression that he feels really good about this situation. Um, and he, he doesn't care about the $75 million buyout. And why should he? I mean, would you care? If you no, no, if I knew it was, buyout? no. Yeah. Here's what we know, Paul. And this is why it's going to be fascinating to watch. Texas A&M is loaded with five-star talent, four and five-star talent. We know that. We also know that Jimbo Fisher's got a good offensive mind. We also know Bobby Petrino's got a good offensive mind. We also know both of them are combustible, as a lot of coaches are. But if this works, if the marriage works, and they find a way to coexist, Texas A&M is going to – you can add them to a list of loaded teams in the West because it's not a talent issue. It's never been a talent issue. It's been about can you harness that talent and win on Saturdays and I applauded Jimbo for making this hire to begin with. People forget that Petrino had just accepted a job at UNLV at the same position. He had a cup of coffee at the craps table and was out. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Petrino's a punchline because of the, the Harley incident at Arkansas. Um, but, you know, he coached Lamar Jackson in you know, 12 years ago. Uh, he was the second best coach in the SEC behind, behind Saban. He, I mean, he was rolling and, you know, he just, yeah, I don't, it doesn't matter anymore that he's a bad guy or he not doesn't care about. I mean, they, they were, listen, there are a lot of bad guys in every sport, um, but he is going to help that program. They have a good quarterback in Connor Wegman. He's very capable. They got stars across the board, and I, I, I think they're going to be have a seriously good year. And you know, whether you know, I wish Jimbo could handle the media better, but he's not going to. Uh, he's He's still angry. I don't know what he's angry about, but that's just who he is. He's and he told me, he's yeah, I'm from West Virginia. You know, my dad was a coal miner, got hurt. And, uh, that's who we are. Uh, oh, good, wonderful. Congratulations, Jimbo. Uh, you're, you know, almost sixty years old. Uh, grow up. Where does Lane Kiffin have Ole Miss now entering his fourth year? They're in a good spot. Uh, you know, they have you know, they have you know four quarterbacks and one of the best running backs in the country. Um, but yeah, he, it's just so, such a hard lane <laughs> to get out of, uh, because they're, they're kind of in that middle of, of the SEC West and they have to play all those other schools. And, uh, I, 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 you know, he got the big contract. I'm sure he's happy with that, but at, at some point lane beat somebody, uh, and, and he just has not done that very well. 
You look, you mentioned the quarterbacks. I mean, Spencer Sanders transfers in from Oklahoma State. Jackson Dart tra- or is back after he transferred yeah. in from USC. Uh, Will Howard, he was an all-everything recruit for LSU. And Brian Kelly transferred in. They got another young quarterback. I mean, the quarterback room, you could argue, is the best in the country. I don't know how he's going to keep all of them, but we'll find out if Lane Kiffin's got that magic. Quinshawn Judkins, as you mentioned, a record-setting freshman year. He seems to me to have everything he needs to surprise a lot of people in the SEC West this year. But you look at that schedule after the first three games at Alabama, home against LSU and Arkansas, and then at Auburn. It's like, Lane, who did you piss off in the league office to get a stretch – of that four and and that's it right there for me. It's not a talent thing with, with Lane and Ole Miss. Cause I think they stack up as good as anybody in the sec. It's the gauntlet they're going to have to get through towards the end of September and early October. Yeah. And he's got an utterly bizarre road game early at Tulane, which I know people going, <laughs> I, I know Tulane is not the same this year as they were in the bowl game, but, right. but still, I mean, that, that's like a weird one. Um, and I, I, I think I just I don't know how he navigates the schedule. Uh, I, I, so that's why I'm probably not as high on Ole Miss. But yeah, that, that, all, all they have to do is upset somebody. Uh, but that's the problem Lane has had. He sometimes he gets in his own way, and he did that last year. It's getting over the hump too. You know, it's it's being as good as you can be talent wise with everybody else and hanging on the field with everybody else. And then it's getting over the hump and having that really special season that puts you in Atlanta with the SEC championship. You lost the Egg Bowl last year and what ended up being Mike Leach's final game. Um, but I, look, Lane is good for football. Lane is good for the SEC. Uh, he's good for social media. Uh, the the um, back and forth that he has with other coaches. You just add him to another talented group of teams in the West, but in the George and everybody else. Billy Napier was there yesterday. He's still building that thing. The team I want to talk about in Tennessee and Josh Heupel in a hiring that was widely panned. The locals hated it. Now he's the greatest coach ever. And he's got to do it with Joe Milton this year. Is it possible Tennessee, who, by the way, was number one for a couple of weeks in the college football playoff rankings a year ago, is it possible for Tennessee to stay at that level that we saw a year ago? Yes. And Milton, uh, I think, is capable of doing great things. Hendon Hooker was a, was a transfer from Virginia Tech, and he, he almost won the Heisman. Uh, had he not gotten hurt, he certainly right. he wouldn't have won, but he would have been uh, in, in the top three. Uh, Tennessee has uh, it going. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, it just clicked at Tennessee. And I, I think Heifel is uh, – a genius when it comes to offensive plays. Uh, they've got a lot of good compliments on that program. And, and, and I, I, I'm, this is not because I'm, I went to school there. That, that, that's irrelevant to the conversation, but we forget that Tennessee is, has always been a major power in college football, but they just fallen so far off the stage. So it's not as difficult for Tennessee to suddenly uh, get everything clicking because they have, they have the infrastructure there. Uh, and, and now they're starting to, to, to make tremendous inroads on the recruiting trail. They need to follow it up, though. You don't need to go from uh, a record-breaking year and a huge bowl win and, and slip back to, to eight and four. And, but go. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. And they, I don't and, either. It, and they've got Georgia that, at the end of the season, Matt, which is the, which is the biggest one of the biggest games of the year in the SEC. Yeah, it's like everybody could come out with one hit song or one hit album. Sure. It's how you follow that hit song and that hit album up. And I, I believe 
when you look at the landscape of this conference, and I'll even make this comment big picture in the country. I believe that Joe Milton is the most dangerous unknown in the country. Here's why. If you look at him as an athlete and you look at his arm as a quarterback, it's first overall oh. pick, first round pick type talent. Yeah. I mean, and, he can throw the ball 100 yards. But he overthrows guys a lot. If well, yeah. him if him being patient and waiting his turn behind head and hooker, if he legitimately harnessed the time, the film, and the improvement, he could easily be the Heisman Trophy winner, and he could easily yeah. be a top 10 pick in the NFL. I find him so fascinating and frightening because everything's there. And if Heupel finds a way to get it out of him, look out because he, to me, could be the most dangerous quarterback in the country if he's had it figured out. I agree. And, you know, Tennessee, uh, misfortune, of course, of having to play Georgia in Alabama. They have a tricky game early, Matt, uh, against Florida. They, they get they get the all-time break with the non-conference game. They're the first game against Virginia. I mean, they'll, you know, they could win that game by 30 or 40 points. Um, but I, I do think Florida will be a little bit uh, – uneasy because there's so much history there uh you know the, the great palmer spurrier days of the 90s right. and, and 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 last year even beating florida as bad as they turned out to be was was cathartic uh for tennessee to finally get get over that hump uh and and, and they're they're feeling pretty good in knoxville too because uh you know they got slammed by the ncaa the other day but basically it comes down to writing a check i mean it, it, it. just doesn't matter um and I mean, the only guy who who, who lost that is the guy who, who should have lost, and that's Jeremy Pruitt, who got us only a six-year show cost. Yeah, and, and there's some scholarship reduction. It was eight million dollar fine, which yeah. basically amounts to a couple of bowl games. But they won't do postseason bans, and they won't punish the players that weren't there when all of this was going down. And so, so that was Tennessee, a big deal. Yeah, and Tennessee can move past all of this. That's what makes them dangerous to me. You can move past everything that was kind of looming during the, the Pruitt era. You came off a really good season last year. You've got the quarterback. You have the talent. College football, I've, I've said this forever. College football is at its best when you have the current powers that are really good, but you add in Tennessee, you add in Miami, you add in Florida State, and you add in USC. When those four teams are dominant, in addition to what's out there now, is when I believe college football is at the height of its powers. Yeah, and and that's really been the problem because a, a lot of these uh, have been dormant for a, a long time, and I think that's why we ended up with, with Alabama and Clemson every year in the championship. That'll do it uh, for a, a, a safety version of the Matt Berry Show in the college football. Show. Fine, we're going to release him out back into the wild. I'm going to go do Sports Center. Got a couple of other uh, schools going for SEC Media Days. Paul, we'll catch up soon. Great stuff out there this week. And I'll talk to you, oh, I don't know, in about two-something hours on live television. Well, if you if you don't see me on the set downstairs, that means that whoever killed the person behind me got me as well. And, oh, by the way, those questions I just ended this with, those are the exact same questions I'm asking you on Sports <laughs> Center, so you're going to be ready to go. 